Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. A Monday is upon us, and it always makes for the start of an interesting week as we look at what's happening in the trade. As we all know, it was a a mixed type of trade for a Monday. The corn saw the lower numbers. Uh, The wheat was kind of a mixed type of affair, but the soybeans definitely to the positive. Flip the page and head over to the livestock side and Unless you're a feeder cattle, everything else was on, on to the negative. So we're going to take a look at what's been happening in the markets today. Of course, we've got, we're halfway through 2021. Hard to believe already. We're going to talk RINs. We're going to talk about the bounce happening in the hogs. What's happening there? Add to it that uptrade that we saw today in the beans and a lot more. As Mike Zuzalo joins us, he is with Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, let's start out with the fact that the soybeans were the only real positive strong for a Monday trade. Yeah, and you notice one thing I think that's going to become more and more important, especially if we see more rain in Iowa, Susan, that we, it looks like we are going to get more rain in Iowa on both models going out about 100 hours, which that's about the highest confidence I have right now is getting out about three, maybe three and a half days. Um, but both models, the European and the GFS, are putting substantial rainfall, good coverage in throughout Iowa and parts of southern Minnesota. So if we have that kind of a scenario develop, we do need those outside markets to support us. And I think the soybeans found a lot of support, and I mean a lot of support, from the crush margins jumping about 10% today, getting back up to $0.70 a bushel, and jumping in the soybean oil up about 4.5% in the July contract. That due to the crude oil market, that crude oil market now back up testing around $74 a barrel, getting up towards its highs uh, in the July contract that it gave away uh, some of those highs uh, when we had that pullback late last week. And I think this is really crucial because that corresponds with the dollar failing at its 52-week moving average of around 92.20 area. And we hadn't seen a a kind of a two closes in a row uh, in the dollar index above the 52-week high on that weekly chart. Uh, since May of 2020. And so it was really important that we hold that as resistance, I think, from a technical mindset, because I think it could have really opened up the door for more uh, buy stops to come in and and the uh, hedge funds and the in, in index funds and essentially the investor class of, of uh, commodity and currency trader really come in and take that dollar up to the next level. Be, by not doing that, however, uh, really kind of soothes and calms my nerves about the demand base for the grains and for the livestock heading into the second half of the summer. When we talk about the second half of the summer, let's talk about those month-end acreage numbers that you have put together. And we know there's a big USDA report that's looming out there in the in the near future. Yeah, the two things. Uh, USDA came in at 91.1 on corn, 87.6 on beans. So keeping that in the back of your mind, I had a 91.9 March acreage estimate and a 91.4 soybean estimate. And I went in, so I went into the acreage report at the end of March, very heavy the soybeans for a variety of reasons, whether it was getting good quality corn seed, whether it was how the weather pattern looked, whether it was the crop insurance costs, uh, whether it was whether you'd locked in your chemical and fertilizer. Uh, too late to catch this lower prices from the pandemic break to the downside when it came to chemicals and fertilizers both. So I still think that's appropriate to have in play as far as a little bit heavier on the soybeans versus the corn. So USDA 91.1, I'm coming in at 92.28. So essentially uh, a 
a three tenths of a percent or 1.3 percent increase in the uh, in the corn acreage number versus USDA's March number. Soybeans again, they were at 87.6. I feel like I can drop back from my old number and come in just under 90 million acres, which is about a 2.7 percent increase from USDA's March estimate. And I I think those numbers are pretty solid based upon clients I've talked to. Um, And I think one thing that will be very surprising to me is if we can get anywhere close to 93, let alone 93.5 million corn acres. I just can't see that right now. So that would, I think, be a very bearish, very price negative number if we saw that in the corn. The other thing that I would take a look at is the all wheat number because I did bring that down from USDA. My all-wheat number back in March was 45.0. USDA is currently at 46.4. I think they could come up a little bit um, from my original number. I think they're actually going to have to drop about 1.2 million acres from their March number. I'm going to put them at 45.2, and that's because I'm going to take a million off of spring wheat acreage, and I'm going to take 200,000 acres off of uh, the Durham acreage base. So those are kind of the numbers I'm looking at. And if bottom lining it out, 92.3 92.3 on corn, 90 million on beans. That does not change or move the needle in terms of feeding the bear. I think it keeps the tight stocks still on the front burner, especially given this first half of summer and how hot it was. And if we have another hot July, it's going to be very difficult to increase those yields. And I think the USD is probably going to have to pull those down. Well, having said all that, I mean, the pressure that this report, I think, this year more than ever is going to put on on producers in the markets because we know the issues they've had in South America. We know the global demand that has been there, not only for South America's products, but for our products, has got to add a little extra layer of excitement to the report. You know, you bring up a huge point because there is about two weeks between now and that acreage report. And just remember or recall what we did just a few marketing days ago in the soybeans and the bean oil. And we went five and a half cents extended limits lower in the soybean oil, which encouraged the soybeans to try and reach towards a buck fifty extended limit lower and end up being down about a buck thirty. That was in one day's trade. So we essentially traded four or five days worth of trade in one day. So my take on this market, if you don't take anything else out of our conversation here today, is I'm going to abide by the technicals. I do not want to take last week's lows out at this stage on corn, beans, or wheat because that opens up the downside and breaks through some support, key support levels. Good. Stick around, folks. We've got a lot more coming up as we continue with part two of the Fontenelle Final Bell. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're continuing the conversation this afternoon with Mike Zuzlo. He's with Global Commodity Analytics. So wanted to talk a little bit, Mike, about these RINs. Uh, $1.6 billion worth of credit supposedly is just still hanging out there. They're blaming a lot of it on COVID. You look at that, what does that mean for our industry? Well, I think it's a I think it's a pretty big red flag. And when you when you talk about and I'm referencing your story on the ruralradio.com that uh, you you noted about how in, in the NF, NAFB news service um, the refiners are short 1.6 billion worth of credits that they need to comply with U.S. biofuel laws. So Susan, if you take that story and then you look at the REN prices dropping 35 percent since the Reuters report came out that the EPA may give more waivers to refiners during this summer gasoline season, this really high 
level high octane blending season and then you add on top of that the fact that our refinery rates in last week's weekly numbers for crude oil refining into motor gasoline or distillates diesel hit the highest level since January of 2020 is almost 93 percent refinery capacity or utilization all those things show that the ethanol stocks actually went up about three percent even though production on the week went down four percent and so all these things add up to me is that these are red flags that suggest we may already be losing um, refining and losing blending at this stage of the game without even a formal notification that EPA has given the uh, okay to not blend and given these waivers out. And so this is a really key issue when it comes to our cash basis levels at biofuel refineries and ethanol plants, especially as we head into the fall time period. So I'll leave it at that for right now since we have such a limited amount of time. But this is a big deal when it comes to the supply-demand balance sheets uh, because of some of these numbers we're looking at. So before we jump to the livestock, I want to ask you quickly about these ethanol margins. I mean, short-term demand is there, correct? And it's solid? Yeah, it is. But I think that's where I I believe that the supply chain, I'm looking at an ethanol crush margin at the CME right now, and it's about 13 cents a gallon. That's not bad, but that's not that great. So I'm asking myself, if I were an ethanol producer and, and blender with the type of cash prices I'm looking at, why wouldn't I just continue on hand to mouth, especially with this biofuel issue hanging over my head, If again, as an ethanol blender or biofuel refinery, uh, that a maker of ethanol or maker of, uh, of biodiesel. And so I think the supply chain is very much just in time and they're only going to buy absolutely what they feel like they're going to be able to get into the gas tanks or into the gas pumps at this point. And that's no way to be this type of season. All right, let's look at these hogs. I mean, we've seen some bouncing. Is there some catch-up that needs to happen from the future standpoint? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think we're looking at a belly market that hit 209.60. Our 2017 high on a weekly close was 215.15. I think we can get back up and test that 2017 high. We've got the pork cutout trying to follow at about 127.50. Ham cutout is about normal. We know last week was all about Father's Day. We know that was mainly about beef. We saw the retail uh, featuring for beef jump 6.2%. Special features, special rates, you know, special uh, deals that you could get at the grocery store because of Father's Day, it actually jumped over 10%. So we have a solid cash cattle price. We now have the pork cutouts coming back around. I think you'll probably see the hog futures market try and find some support here between now and the end of the month. And I say that especially because the BLT seasonal, the bacon, lettuce, tomato seasonal, I think still very appropriate and useful at this point. And, and also the idea that we still have half the summer, and while we're not getting as great of a retail market as we would like because of such sharply higher prices in a variety of areas, it's not bad either. So I'd be looking for if the soybeans, unless the soybeans would go down sharply again, Susan, that pork and bean trade is still very, very active. So both the hogs and the soybeans tend to, in the futures, tend to work with one another and play along the same side or the same part of the order ticket. Um, so as long, unless the beans would really break hard, I think the hog futures want to try and play catch up with the uh, cash market. And quickly, this, the feeder cattle market saw the positive trade for today. Hopefully that sets the tone for the rest of the week. 
Yeah, I think it can. I think feeders are probably just basically at this point in a trading range market waiting to find out whether we have the corn uh, bull market, weather market pretty much in the bag at this point. There's still a gap in the August feeder cattle market at about 151.90. That's from the June 11th high, and then we gapped higher uh, on the, the very next Monday on the 14th, so it'd be a week ago. So that I think we could fill that gap to the downside. That's good. Best way for folks to get a hold of you, Mike? Well, best way is to go to globalcomresearch.com and sign up for a trial and uh, take a look at all of our information we send out. And then I'll contact you at the end of the two weeks and see if you like what you see. All right. That's the Fontenelle Final Bell. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss are not suitable for all investors. The Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local Fontenelle dealers right here on the Rural Radio Network.